got your Bibles, let's turn to Exodus chapter 1, reading from verse 22 through to chapter 2, verse 10. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. Then she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is God's inspired, inerrant, and holy word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word that truly sustains us that is living and active, through which we, we cannot have true life. Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word, that through it you would continue to sanctify us, to convict us of our sins, to show us just how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, open up our hearts, soften our hearts now as we hear your word. And we pray this for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, on the 6th of June, 1944, or what was known as D-Day, a mass of Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy in France. And they did this in order to liberate Europe from Nazi tyranny. So there were tens of thousands of troops there from all over the world, including South African troops. They were there with all sorts of military hardware, tanks and jeeps and um, all sorts of things. And they landed there in the early hours of that morning to face intense resistance from the Germans. If you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan, that opening scene is describing this and it's, it's, it's crazy. Now, this operation had been months in the making. And it was the result of meticulous planning for almost a, a, a year 
Um, there's all sorts of coordination, and the Allies even apply, uh, used deception to try and lure the Germans away from that landing site. And so everything had to be perfectly set in place for that event to succeed. And if there was one little cog that was missing or out of place, that whole plan would have fallen apart. Now, Winston Churchill, who was the British Prime Minister at, at the time, he said in, in the light of that event, quote, everything proceeded according to plan. And what a plan. And at the end of that day, the Allies had successfully established a beachhead on the shores of France. And in a matter of months, Hitler was dead and the Nazis were defeated. Now, in this morning's text, we see a much more significant plan beginning to unfold. We see the very early stages of God's plan to redeem his own people from slavery in Egypt. And so we introduced in this text, the first time in Exodus, the main character, this newborn baby named Moses. And he is destined to become the savior of his people. And so what we're going to see is is that God is involved in every little detail of his life. He's involved in preparing him each step of the way for the task that he has called him to to undertake. And we're going to see that nothing happens by chance. Everything is proceeding exactly according to to God's sovereign plan here in Moses' life. And so what we'll see from this text is that God uses all things according to his purposes to save his people for his own glory. So three points. Firstly, by faith. Secondly, according to God's providence. And thirdly, a savior of God's people. So first off, if you were here last week, we... Uh, if you remember that we saw how in Exodus 1, how Pharaoh set himself up against God, against the people of God, against the plans of God. And he tried his best to oppress and thwart the Israelites. And he, he did this firstly by brutally enslaving them. And then secondly, he, tries, he tried his best to exterminate them by having their, their own midwives kill their, their sons at birth. And we, we saw last week is that as much as he tried to destroy them and thwart their plans, they didn't succeed. Well, his own plans didn't succeed. Instead, the more he tries to quash them, the more the text tells us that they multiplied and they became fruitful and they flourished. Now, verse 22, the last verse of chapter 1 continues, says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but every, you shall let every daughter live. So even despite the fact that Pharaoh's plans aren't succeeding, he's, he's not deterred. He's, he's pressing on with his opposition. And so he, he continues with his genocidal plans to wipe out the Israelite nation. So he, his next decree here is that all baby boys are to be drowned in the Nile. Now, in the midst of this planned genocide, 
we introduced in verse 1 of chapter 2 to an Israelite man who's from the tribe of Levi and who we later see in, in Exodus chapter 6 verse 20. He's got a name. His name is Amram. And he actually is a grandson of Levi. Okay, Levi, one of the sons of Jacob, one of the brothers of Joseph. And Amram gets married to a Levite woman. Okay, we later found, found out also in Exodus chapter 6, her name is Jochebed. Now knowing that Pharaoh has ordered the slaughter of the newborn Israelite baby boys, this doesn't deter them, firstly, from getting married, and it doesn't deter them from having children. And he does exactly what they, they get cracking with. So verse 2 tells us that Jochebed conceives and she bears a son, and which is described as a fine child, or the direct translation from the Hebrew, a good child. Or Stephen, later in Acts 7, verse 20, he uh, describes Moses as he was beautiful in God's sight. So instead of obeying Pharaoh's decree to drown their son in, in, in the Nile, what do they do? Well, they keep him for as long as they can. Hey, for three months, still small, they're able to hide him, keep him out of sight, keep him quiet. But soon they realize, you know, they, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to continue this forever. They're going to be found out sooner or later. So what they do is, verse 3 explains, is that his mother gets a basket made of bulrushes and she paints it with bitumen and pitch. So as to waterproof it. And she puts her baby in it and she puts it in the river and puts it in the reeds close to the, to the bank. And then she gets her daughter, who later we will see in Exodus, her name is Miriam. She stands at a distance and she's there just to watch now what's going to unfold. So what's going on here? Hey, these parents, they have a child knowing full well the death sentence hanging over his head. And they send him off in a flimsy little basket in a crocodile-infested Nile. Don't you think they're being a, a tad irresponsible here? Well, actually, not at all. Because their actions reveal their great faith. And so great is their faith is that they even get a mention in the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Verse 23 says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So in spite of these dangers and risks, Amram and Jochebed, they chose not to live their lives in fear of an earthly king. Instead, like the Hebrew midwives last week, they feared God more than man. And they had faith in God's covenant promises to their forefather Abraham that he would be their God. That he would bless them, that he would multiply them, that he would preserve them, that he would keep them and deliver them into that promised land of Canaan. And they, be they lived believing that those promises were true, that God doesn't lie. That he would be faithful to those promises. So we're going to keep on having children. 
Now, it's really interesting that the Hebrew word that's used here for basket, verse 3, Hebrew, it's teva. It's used in the Old Testament only in one other place. And that other place is in Genesis 6 to 9. Now, who can remember what unfolds in Genesis 6 to 9? Okay, Noah's Ark. Now, it is the same, the same word that's used for baskets, teva. Believe it or not, well, it's true. I'll show you in my Hebrew Bible. It's the same word that is used for ark. And it's only used there in this place and in the story of Noah's Ark. Now, that's no accident. Okay, it's the use of that word is a direct, the, the Israelites reading the text, prop, 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 shine the light. Okay, it's telling us something. It's reminding us of that other story where God did something very similar. Okay, just as, as God saved Noah and his family from drowning in the floodwaters by preserving them in that ark, but what's God going to do now? He's going to do the same thing. He's going to preserve and save Moses from death in another ark, in this little basket. And you see, this is exactly what his parents trust the Lord will do for their son. Why else do they put him in that little ark? Except that they trust that God is somehow is going to save him against all odds. And they have faith that he will save him and use him for his sovereign purposes. And their faith is so strong that they even send their daughter off to keep watch over the basket. Because what's that action demonstrating? Well, it's demonstrating that they expect God's going to somehow intervene. And so what we see here is how we as believers are to live in Christ. How are we to live? Well, we're to live by faith. Okay, we're not to live like the world. Okay, we're to trust in God's promises to us in his word, no matter our our circumstances. We're not to to make plans in our lives. We're not to live by sight. We're to trust that, that God is going to accomplish his purposes in our lives despite the, 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 the dire circumstances. The world lives by sight. If Moses' parents had been guided by worldly wisdom, what would they have done? Well, they probably wouldn't have had the child in the first place. And even if they had the child, they would have probably complied with Pharaoh's decree to to drown him. But instead, they live by faith. And as Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, they had assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. Let's bring us to our second point, according to God's providence. Now, as Jochebed sends off her, her baby boy in the little basket on the Nile as an act of faith, what happens is the river currents carry the basket gently down the stream, and the river currents bring that little basket right to a spot where just at that moment, none other than Pharaoh's daughter decides to have a bath. 
And in verse 5, tells us she tells us she's at the river with her ladies in waiting, and she, she sees this basket there among the reeds, and she sends one of her women to go and, and get it for her. And as she opens it, lo and behold, she sees this, this little baby, and he's crying. And verse 6 tells us that she took pity on him. And she realizes that it, he's an Israelite child. She's an, he, he's, a, he's a Hebrew child. Now, what we see here clearly is the Lord's sovereign hand of providence in action. God is guiding every little detail and everything is going just according to plan. He is the one who's guiding the currents in the river. He's ensuring that the, this basket is going to come into the sight of Pharaoh's daughter. And he is the one who chose Pharaoh's daughter out of all people to decide to come and have a bath at that exact time, at that exact place on the River Nile. He's also the one who softens her heart as she opens the basket and causes her to take pity on the baby instead of having him killed, which was the law of the land. He's the one who restrains the evil. He's the one who's even working in this heart of, of, of this pagan woman whose own father has made this degree, decree and as, as the Lord is now giving her courage to defy her own father, the Pharaoh. So verse 7, Miriam is nearby. She's watching all this unfold. And so she boldly approaches Pharaoh's daughter and she offers to uh, arrange a Hebrew nurse in order to nurse the child. How very convenient. So the Lord, still working in Pharaoh's daughter, agrees. The offer is favorable to her. And she, Miriam goes off and calls her mother, who now gets paid <laughs> To look after her own son and bring her own son up legally in her house. So we can see God's plan to save his people from slavery through this child. And it's all beginning to wonderfully come together here. Because in God's providence, he chose this baby boy to lead his people out of slavery and into freedom in the promised land. Nothing happened by accident. It was all predestined. It was all a part of God's plan from before the creation of the world. Every detail of his life was planned by God in preparation for how he would use him to accomplish his will. So it was according to God's providence that this child would spend his earliest years with his own family. Okay, that he could bond with his real mother. So that his identity as an Israelite was shaped. That he would be raised in the true faith of the true God of Israel. Not as a pagan. But it was also according to God's providence that as he grew older, he moved into Pharaoh's household. He was adopted as, as Pharaoh's daughter's son. He would not grow up as a slave like all his Israelite peers, but instead he would grow up as a son in the court of Pharaoh. He would grow up as one of Pharaoh's grandsons. 
We grow up as royalty. Okay, he would have enjoyed immense privileges. And one of those great privileges was that he received the best education that the world had to offer at that time. And this education would have included uh, training in linguistics, in maths, in astronomy, in architecture, in music, in medicine, in law, and the art of diplomacy. That's why Acts 7, 22, is Stephen preaching before he gets martyred. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So what's happening here is that God is ensuring that Moses is going to be uniquely equipped and prepared for the calling that he's laid before him. To take on the might of Pharaoh. Who else better to take on the might of Pharaoh than someone who's lived in his court and who knows him. And he knows his strengths and his weaknesses and how he operates and all the court protocol. Who's been trained in art of diplomacy. Who better than Moses? Not only has God called him to take on Pharaoh and the might of the Egyptian empire, but he's called him to lead his own people out of bondage in Egypt and to take them into the the land of promise. That's why he grew up with his family. He was still strongly an Israelite. He had a connection with his own people. He, he, he He was able to sympathize with his own people and knew their pain. You see, none of these events in Moses' childhood happened by accident or by chance. Indeed, they all happened for a reason because they were all ordained by God himself. And this is what Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, okay, not some things, all things, all the events in your life, good and bad, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Hold on to that verse when things are rough. Because God's saying even that thing that you're going right through right now is working together for good. Don't forget that. Now the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 27, explains the significance of this truth very well. And it, it describes this truth as, as providence. And it, it tells us that, that God's fatherly hand of providence guides all of us in everything, upholding us and causing all things, good and bad, to come to pass. Now then, the catechism continues in question answer 28, and the, the question asks how this knowledge of God's providence helps us. And the answer that the catechism gives is the following. We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will, 
They can neither move nor be moved. Now that's a profound statement, all thoroughly just lifted from the word of God. You see, baby Moses was not at the mercy of the random forces of chance. He wasn't at the mercy of of cold nihilism or cold fate. And the good news is that neither are we. God has sovereignly planned every detail of our lives. He knows even when the hair falls from our head. He guides us by his loving fatherly hand and he ensures that his perfect will will always be accomplished. We, we can't somehow fall out of God's will. He promises that in both good times and bad times, in all circumstances, he's got us. He's guiding us. That nothing will be able to separate us from his love and that, that he will cause us by the power of the Holy Spirit to endure to the end where he will raise us up on the last day at the day of Jesus Christ. This, brothers and sisters, this truth should give us great security, great assurance that we can trust in the goodness of God, in his faithful plans to work out his purposes in our lives. Now, let's bring us to our final point, the savior of God's people. So what exactly was God planning to do with this baby boy in the basket? Hey, well, he was planning to keep his covenant promises that he made to Abraham to Israel, to Abraham's offspring. And those promises that he would be their God and that they would be his own people, that he would bless them, that he would multiply them, that he would free them from bondage in Egypt and settle them in their own land, the promised land of Canaan. And this baby boy is going to be a key instrument in this plan. And in fact, his destiny as the savior of his people, it's already hinted here in our final verse in verse 10. Let's read it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. So he's a bit older now. He then leaves his mother, and he's adopted as, as Pharaoh's daughter's son, and she names him. And the name she chooses is Moses. It comes from the Hebrew word masha. Now masha means to draw out or to pull out. And the uh, apparent reason why Pharaoh's daughter named him that was because she pulled him out of the waters of the Nile. So Moshe, that's Hebrew for, for Moses. It means then he who draws out of. Now, she, have, she may have had her intentions why she named them that, but even God was sovereign in the name that she gave him because the true significance of Moses' name is pointing us to his true destiny. Because God would one day use this little baby boy as a savior to draw out 
his people from slavery and deliver them into the promised land. Now you see, brothers and sisters, all this, yes, we, we are pointed to Moses as the, the coming savior of Israel, the coming deliverer, the coming um, God's appointed instrument to draw out his people from slavery. But really, this is pointing us to someone much greater, the true Savior, the, the, the Messiah of God's people, the one who is greater than Moses, Jesus. And this is why Hebrews 3 verse 3 says that Jesus has been counted more worthy of glory than Moses. Moses was God's faithful servant, but Christ is God's faithful son, as Hebrews 3, 4 says. Moses was born under the death sentence of Pharaoh in Egypt. Well, Jesus was born under the death sentence of King Herod and then fled into Egypt with his parents. See that in Matthew 2. And Moses was delivered safely through this danger by God's sovereign hand. And so was Jesus. Moses learned the wisdom of the Egyptians, but Jesus grew strong and was filled with the wisdom of God, as Luke 2.40 tells us. Moses drew out God's people from slavery in Egypt But Jesus drew out God's people from darkness and saved us from our sins, as Matthew 121 tells us. Moses was called out of Egypt to be a savior of Israel. Jesus was called out of Egypt as God's son to be the ultimate savior of the true Israel, God's church. So bring us all together. Yeah, we've, we've seen the faith of Moses' parents in entrusting him to God's sovereign plans. But if we're honest with ourselves, our lives don't often exhibit such faith. Rather, our tendency is to trust in our own sensibilities, to follow our own hearts, to do what seems right in our own eyes to choose convenience and and security over sacrifice, which usually leads us to make sinful choices. Now, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Romans 14.23 says it a bit more strongly. It says, for whatever does not proceed from faith, is sin. The reality is that if if you're living according to your own standards of right and wrong, instead of God's, if you're living your life independently of God, devoid of faith in Christ, you're making a practice of sin. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now, it's not a once-off death. That's an eternal death in the presence of the wrath of God forever. It's a horrifying thought. But that's what is promised those of us 
who have no faith in Jesus and who are still in our sins. Well, what hope is there then? Well, repent and trust in the one who is greater than Moses, the only true Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the one who draws you out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog and sets your feet firmly on the rock. And trust in the one who sovereignly works all things together for your salvation according to his perfect plan, who sets you free from slavery to sin, who has paid the debt of your sins by dying on the cross in your place and raised to life on the third day, he forgives your sins, delivers you from darkness and into his glorious light and draws you into the true promised land where he will be our God and we will be his people forever. Amen.